it's, it's pretty interesting to me when I became the pastor of OCCA. Very interesting to me. As, as I got here and as I became a part of the ministry that was going on here, um, one of the first questions that I was asked by someone, uh, and, and it was by multiple someones, was, what's the vision? Very interesting question to be asked when you're a new pastor to a church. What's the vision? This was asked a week or two in. So what's the vision? Where are we going as a church? Obviously, we're taking a break from Hebrews this week. <laughs> this is, by the way, we're already in our annual meeting. Our annual meeting started at 1030 for worship. Everything that we do as a church needs to proceed from worship. So we're already in our annual business meeting. So this will be a little bit different of a sermon than you're used to. But this question came up, what's the vision? Interestingly enough, it was, it was mostly men who were asking me this question, what's the vision? Where are we going as a church? My response to that question in the beginning was this. I have no idea. Anything that I give you right now is just Jerry Breedlove's best guess or his best laid plans. I haven't had time to seek the Lord and to discern what God is doing in our midst. I think some people that kind of threw them off a little bit. I think some people that might even have made them uh, pretty uncomfortable. And they're like, really? Other people heard that and I think they were excited about it. They're like, okay, great. You know, I hadn't thought about it before now, but hey, our pastor doesn't want to do, you know, figure out on his own what's going on. He wants to seek Jesus on what's going on. But this is, like I said again, it's very interesting. And you may be thinking, okay, why would God just not instantly reveal that to you? A couple of reasons, I think. Number one, we're an instant gratification society. We want it now and we want it bigger and better. We want something new and we want it now. And I think God is trying to teach us as a body and me as an individual, if not as a body. Slow down. Listen to what I'm saying. Some of the things that I may be asking you to do may be a challenge that if I told you right now, you wouldn't want to do them. We talked about it in my mentoring class this morning. You guys are probably familiar with the story when Elijah goes and, and he's, he's killed the prophets of Baal and he's called for the rain to come and it's all come and Jezebel wants him dead. And he goes to run and the Lord feeds him out there in the wilderness and says, look, this is going to be a long journey. And feeds him twice and says, no, it's a long journey. You need to be in this for the long haul. Elijah was like, I got one meal, I'm good. And then Elijah goes and he hides himself in a cave, right? And God comes to Elijah and does not tell. God tells us plenty of times. But because of where Elijah's heart was, God did not tell. God asked a question. Elijah. What are you doing here? Anybody remember that story? Amen? That, that, that historical record? This is truth. This actually happened. God says to Elijah, what are you doing here? Now listen, do you think God didn't know what Elijah was doing there? 
Of course he did. He's omniscient. If God didn't know, then God's not omniscient, and therefore he's not worthy to be worshipped, and we all need to go home and hang it up. And I know that stretches some people when I say that, but either God knows everything, or he's no better than me. I get surprised all the time. If I got a God who can be surprised, he's not really God. Amen? I need a God who knows the beginning from the end, who's not surprised when my engine blows up in my car, or one of my kids falls ill, or one of those, you know, I need a God that I know knows the end of that. Amen? Okay, so, he says, what are you doing here? And Elijah goes through and gives him this answer. Now, I, I don't think if you, if you don't read the whole story all the way down through when he goes and puts his mantle on Elisha, I think you might miss it. In the story, in this historical fact, factual record, God comes back to Elijah and asks him the question again later on. Elijah answers him. He says, well, I'm here, you know, and I'm the only person left and all of this kind of stuff and all of Israel that will serve you and da 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 He goes through this whole explanation. Now listen, the second time God asked the question of him later on in the passage, he actually corrects Elijah. He tells Elijah, buddy, you are so full. This is my paraphrase. Buddy, you're so full of yourself. You're not the only person that hasn't served Baal. I got 7,000 who never bowed the knee to him. But see, the whole problem here is Elijah kind of thought he was in it on his own. And so as Elijah's sitting there thinking he's in it on his own, God backs up with him and lets him discover, I'm with you in this. Now, I think many times we get caught up in the, in the whole thing, you know, well, we have the, the fire and we have the earthquake and we have the wind and, and God's not in the big flashy things. Listen, I've seen God in really big flashy things. That's not what God is trying to teach by saying it's in the low whisper. That is not the primary example here. Because God, because what happened yesterday with our Beth Moore simulcast was kind of flashy. And the girls, the ladies, felt like God was in that. Amen? Amen. Okay. So, this isn't a thing against, you know, you can't go to a concert because God's not there. or You know, I mean, we see God in all kinds of stuff. What God is really trying to do with Elijah is to say to him, Hey, where, see where I'm at in this. Slow down. Don't do this on your own. See where I'm at in this. Once Elijah began to see that God was in this... God asked him again the same open-ended question, what are you doing here? Elijah, being hard-headed, probably had a personality similar to mine, gives him the exact same answer. This time, though, Elijah has come to realize God's involved in this process, and God corrects him. He says, I've been, I've been here. There's 7,000 people who haven't bailed the knee. You're not alone. I'm involved in this. And then he begins to reveal the plan to Elijah on what he's supposed to do. I need you to go anoint this king over this people, and I need you to go anoint this king over this people, and I need you to go anoint, anoint Elisha over as, as a prophet and all these kind of things. And he gives him this. And then once Elijah, see, or Elijah sees what's in it, he goes and starts implementing that plan. He goes and starts following that vision for ministry that God has laid out for him. I'm not by any means trying to suggest that I'm an Elijah. But what I am trying to suggest is that as a church and as a leader, 
We have to pursue God and find out where he's at. Where are you moving, God? Where is it that you want to take us, God? And then when we know we've heard from him, we can move forward in strength and in confidence. So when I came to OCCA and I'm hearing these questions, here's what I'm hearing first. Now, listen, hear the whole message before you shut down on me. I don't think really, to be honest with you, that very many people are going to shut down or have the danger of that. But here's what I hear people saying. Pastor, we have no vision. Or not one that's been communicated in such a way that we understand what it is. Now, understand me. I know we have a vision statement. Which, can I just be honest in a moment of weakness here and tell you, isn't a vision. I do believe that we should prioritize the critical role of men. That's a passion we have, and that's the testimony I shared. When we do that, our men raise up as leaders of our families, and that was the idea behind that years ago, is that our men would become servant leaders. And it's a good thing. And people outside of our church have seen that. But that's not a vision. That's a passion we have. That's a calling from God that we have to disciple men. A vision is a compelling picture of the preferred future that God has for us. A vision is attainable and once attained should change. Let me give it to you this way. A vision is like the headlights on a car driving down a dark road. And the headlights on the car illuminate the roadway ahead. But if the car is making progress, the car gets to the place in the road that was lit up. Amen? Amen. But guess what the lights are doing now? Illuminating a new area. Does that mean where we came to is unimportant? No. It doesn't mean that at all. It means that's part of our journey, that's part of who we are now. So I don't think the the prioritizing the critical role of men was a vision as far as the way it's stated, but I think it was in the sense of getting us to where we're supposed to go next. There is no doubt about it, and I think this was shown evidently yesterday, and I could not have paid these ladies to do this yesterday from other churches to see, wow, this church believes that men should be serving and leading their families and leading the family of God. And so that is something that we have decided is an important part of our DNA. And now we're there. And I'm not saying we're doing it perfectly. But we continue moving forward. We continue moving forward. Interestingly enough, sometimes we have to move back to move forward. Sometimes we have to move back to move forward. And that's what we're going to be talking about is moving back. And and I'm going to get to scriptures here in just a minute, okay? But I I, got to give you the backstory, what's been going on for the year that I've been here. So as I come, one of the things that I ask the elders when when I'm in the interview process, keep in mind, I'm not looking for a job. I have a job. So it's amazing when you're not looking for a job, you already have a job, how bold you get with the questions you ask. <laughs> you know, you're like, I don't care. You know, let's figure out if this is, it gives you this freedom. You don't feel desperate, right? And I said, hey, I have been for the last few years in a church that did not believe in, in that 
the supernatural things in Scripture that the Holy Spirit does are still available to the church today. They say they believe it, but in practice, many of them fight against it. And I fought that battle and, and have seen the church change, but I can't do that again right now. I need to know, do you guys believe in all of this stuff, including tongues? And tongues, by the way, is a less, way less weird spiritual gift than the gift of service. Like the person who gets joy out of cleaning the toilets. That is just freaky. <laughs> all right? Hopefully I don't offend somebody this morning. I won't say the name of who it is, but there's somebody I believe has the gift of service in our midst. This morning at 7.30, they were here at this building doing work that could have waited, but they felt like God was saying this is a priority, and that's an awesome thing. That to me is God, and it's awesome, but at the same time, it's weird. You know, that, like, I'm going to put myself and all this stuff to the side. That's really cool stuff to me, right? That's way weirder to me than somebody speaking in tongues or giving a prophetic word, you know? Because that's like, all of a sudden, self's not important anymore. That's crucifying the flesh. That's the stuff we all struggle doing, amen? So anyway, so I say I can't go back to this... this uh, I can't go back to this, the Holy Spirit's not allowed to be the Holy Spirit. Are you guys open to the moving of the Holy Spirit? And the elders all said, absolutely. Now, I wish, going back, hindsight being 2020, I wish I'd asked the question a different way. I found out very quickly, yeah, we're open to it. Somebody needs to teach us some of these things. We've, some of these things we know, some of these things we don't know. We're, and I'm like, oh, which isn't bad, you know. But I didn't know that. So when I first got here and I started talking about hearing from the Lord and different things like that, people were like, oh, and I'm like, oh, I thought you guys were okay with those kind of things. Oh, we are, but we just don't understand. Can you? And I'm like, oh, okay. So we began to meet as elders in a small group. And by the way, the elders are all great with this. It's just, and it's not so much that they don't understand. It's that this hasn't been something that's gone on in our body and we need to teach our people this, Right. And so I said, okay, great. So we start meeting together every other Sunday night, going through what the Alliance believes on the Holy Spirit. And it's the expectation without agenda. God's Spirit uh, manifesting His presence in miraculous ways, but we have no agenda of what that looks like. And as we started talking, the overwhelming thing that I heard our elders say over and over and over again, in comments that they probably thought were very insignificant, but were very powerful in telling me to clue in to where God was working was this awe that they had in, wow, this was what was happening, beginning to happen 20 years ago when Pastor Darvin Howard took us from on top of the hill down to this building. These are the things that Pastor Darvin was beginning to teach to us. This is a very powerful indicator for me as a leader. Of saying, wow, these are things that I need to pay attention to. These are things that are resonating with people's heart. You can see the joy. One night I actually said, as as we talked this through, I actually looked at one of our elders and I said, Fran, you need to call Pastor Darvin and tell him. Because for right now he may be discouraged. He may be thinking, all of these things I did there, did it ever take effect? Call him, tell him. I learned, I heard, we did that, and it was awesome. And we begin, and I begin to hear this. As I begin to talk throughout the church and begin to, to say the things to people that God was revealing to me, 
in hallway conversations, which is a whole lot more influential than these conversations. Okay? I'm talking with people and I'm laying out the ideas that I believe that God is birthing in my heart. And I'm saying in the beginning when I'm starting to get my mind wrapped around this, I don't really know how to say this quite yet. So bear with me. And I say da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And I'm going to get to the da-da-da's here in just a moment, okay? I just want to give you the background. And I'm like, does that make sense to you? How do you? What do you think about that? Does that resonate with your heart? And I would... I didn't write down every conversation that I'd had. But if I venture a guess, I'm going to say 85 to 95% of the people that I shared that with said, man, that's what God's doing in my heart too. And they followed it up for those who have been here for 20 years with, this is what God was doing when Pastor Darwin was our pastor. And it continued on through Brad Sickler and Tim Young. And I don't think that we lost sight of that. I think we took a needed detour to get some things in order. And now we're going back to this path of where God was taking us. And we've got these things over here in order. And we realize that our men need to be leaders inside of our body and inside of our homes. Servant leaders. Not ones who lord their authority over their wives and over their kids. But servant leaders. And we're back to what God is doing 20 years ago. And all the way up through. So what is God doing in our midst? I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. Follow along in your translation. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though they may, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But if, but as it is, God, somebody say God. God has arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. That's really important. It's not my church. It's not your church. I mean, it is our church, but it's not our church. You understand what I'm saying? He gets to make the plans. He gets to choose where we go. He gets to arrange the pieces the way He sees fit. Can I get a witness? Okay. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be the weaker are indispensable. 
Ladies, take that to heart. You're indispensable. I'm not implying that you are weaker. I'm implying that at times it seems as though you're weaker. And the scriptures actually say at one point that the, the, about that relationship with the man and the woman. But you're indispensable. Hear what I'm, I, you need to hear that. You're indispensable. I don't care what anybody, any other man has ever told you or any other person has ever told you. Ladies, just the ladies, I want you to say, I'm indispensable. Do it again. I'm indispensable. Isn't that kind of what was going on yesterday at the Beth Moore conference for the ladies who were there? That you're a woman of God and you're important. Amen? Back to my message. Sorry, that was a little side note. And on those parts of the body we think less honorable, we, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But if God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to one part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. So if one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Now look, there's way more packed in those, in those verses than I'm going to be able to share today. But we're going to bring some highlights out of that about what God is doing in our midst. Let's pray. Father, we know you are doing some really powerful, awesome things inside of our body. And you're going to continue to do that because you're God. And just awesomeness is who you are. And so we thank you for that. And we ask you today to begin to speak to us in very real and transformative ways that we can follow you and feel free to serve you in all that we want to serve you in, that you have those passions that you put in our heart. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and God's people said, amen. So as you go back and you consider this passage of Scripture, I want you to think about some of the things that it says here. It says the body consists of many members, not one. And then it gets into what I believe was this conflict that was going on inside of the church. And it's a conflict that, quite frankly, I see happen all over churches in America, all over churches around the world. And here's the conflict in modern terms. Oh, you're not passionate about the ministry I'm passionate about? Well, clearly you aren't hearing from God. Because if God's doing this in me, he's got to be doing it in you, or you're not paying attention. But the illustration says, but if all were the eye, where's the sense of hearing? Right? Guys, one of the things God has been clearly speaking to me over the last year that, that is changing is what we're seeking to become as a church is that just because somebody doesn't have the same passion for ministry that you do doesn't mean they're a loser. God has gifted them and given them passions according to what he wants in their life. If we were all passionate about lost people in Zimbabwe, nobody in the rest of the world would get to hear the gospel except for the lost people in Zimbabwe. But God gives different people different passions. Unity is not the same thing as uniformity. If every one of these worship team members and their instruments were playing the exact same notes and we were all singing the exact same notes, it would sound a whole lot like a Gregorian chant. (laughs) 
And okay, great. Hey, we'd be, we'd be in perfect unison with one another and perfect uniformity. And boy, if somebody got out of line, we'd be able to tell. Right? But that's not what God does. And I'm not trying to downplay Gregorian chants or say that there's nothing good about them, but I'm saying this. I'm saying when we worship, we bring together all of these different instruments who are all playing their different parts. We have a song that we used to lead at our old church in, in, in Clarksville, Tennessee. It was called Jesus Mighty God. Some of you may be familiar with it. We had a very interesting version of it. You know, the song goes, Jesus Mighty God, our rock, our fortress, our defense. And so it's crazy when you hear it, it would start off with a guitar riff. And then the bass player would come in. And then the piano, a piano player would come in. And then, um, the uh, the the rhythm guitarist would come in, da 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 da, da 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 da, da 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 da, and then the drummer would come in with a completely different thing. Now all my music teachers know what this is called. It's called a polyrhythmic song, right? A polyrhythmic song, multiple rhythms, different people playing different rhythms, and we're going through all of this stuff. And any one part, except for the bass player, has got the little he's got the hardest part. It's pretty doggone easy. But when the whole thing is playing, people are flabbergasted by how complex the song is. No one person can play that song that way alone. The beauty comes from the different parts and the different notes all working together. And the song becomes this more full, beautiful thing that it never could be if we're all singing the same exact melody line and playing the same exact melody line in the same octave. We have to begin to give freedom for people to be gifted differently than us and for that to be okay. Let me give you another example without his permission. I think he will be fine with it. He's one of my best friends. Daniel is not a Pirates fan. He is a Cardinals fan. And there is a part of me that wants to sigh just like Jeff did. (laughs) But we have this beautiful relationship with one another. Because he's not like me. And yet we both love baseball. And we're both willing to go through that and talk about it and be a part of that. God has given him a passion for, quite frankly, something I used to be passionate years ago. I was born in St. Louis. I am proof positive you can be delivered from the Cardinals. So keep that in mind, Dale. He can be delivered eventually. But see, Daniel and I find beauty in this together, even though we're not exactly the same. Daniel, I think, has a spiritual insight that many of us are missing in that Daniel says, I don't want to be the same. I want to be who God has created me to be. I want to be free to express who I am. And now I'm just telling you right now, I know, I know that there are many of you right now who are breathing a sigh of relief because you're feeling like you're being given permission to be who God called you to be. And you are correct. 
you're, given, you're, you're being given permission to be who God has called you to be. Because the scriptures give you that permission. We are not seeking to be uniform with one another. We are seeking to be in unity with one another. Walking in unity with one another. Unity in God's spirit, not our spirit. Unity of the spirit is not that our spirits are in one accord. It's that our spirits individually are in line with His spirit. Which puts us into this beautiful song. This beautiful thing that's happening. I need you to get me a coffee cup and a hammer. Just go find me a coffee cup and a hammer. <clears throat> Sorry, I really feel like the Lord's told me to do something, and I, and I gotta—I'll get around to it. Okay, it's this beautiful thing. Let me just share with you one thing out of this passage of scripture. The eye has no idea what the foot's job is. Now, some of you are going, uh huh. Wait a minute. I know what my foot's job is. Yeah, but your eye doesn't. Your eye is connected to the head, to the brain, to the, to the central information sending place. It doesn't get foot signals. But it's part of the body. See, the reality is, in, is this. No one person has the whole picture. If you are a no one person, raise your hand. You see my hands up too. I'm a, I, no one person has the whole picture, including your pastor. No one person has the whole picture. But what we're seeing from this passage of Scripture is that even though no part of the body understands the other parts of the body, that we are to work together as one another, we work together with one another as part of this big body, right? I mean, this picture that's on the screen now kind of says it, right, in a, in a different way. It's a church vision that each one of us can celebrate, connect, and contribute. You want to know where we're going as a church? We're going to be the type of church, I'm going to get to a little bit more succinctly here in just a moment. We're going to be the church where everybody can celebrate, connect, and contribute according to the way that God has designed them. Listen. Jerry, we share a first name. But other than that, you don't have to be me, brother. You are free to be you. And wait a minute. Now, Jeff and Jerry are both, well, you're not anymore. You're retired. But two music teachers. You're free to be that music teacher, and you're free to be that music teacher. And Jody, who's behind you, is free to be that other music teacher. And then Fran and Sharon. It's freaky how many music teachers we have in this church, by the way. So, so but you're free to be that way. So, like, at times there's similarities. But let me just tell you something. Fran and Sharon have been married for how many years now, Fran? 39 years now. And Sharon, and I'm not beating you up, brother, and I think you know this, Sharon is by far a better piano player than you, is she not? Just side with me. <laughs> okay. Sharon is freaky. You could, Sharon is, Sharon is like what Alicia's going to be like, I think, in, in 20 years from now, where Sharon can hear a song one time, sit down and whoop that sucker out. 
You know, I mean, Sharon is awesome with this whole thing. Two music teachers who both love the Lord, who both want to serve him, and, and, but music teachers, and yet God has taken Sharon into her own little area of music and taken Fran into his own area of music. They're different, yet working on the same goals, working towards the same things. Amen? See, you're free to be you. You're free to be you. You're free to be who God created you to be. So, anyway, you need to understand you're free to be you. No one person has the whole picture. And we have to, as a church, come to this point where we understand that no one person has the whole picture. Can I get a witness? No one person has the whole picture. But instead, each one of us is given just a piece. Just a piece. Now this is an interesting thing that I want to share to you. Do you guys know what mosaics are made out of? Pieces of tile and glass. And i got a whole sermon that goes on mosaics. But that's not the part that I want you to, to see with this illustration of the mosaic. That to me is a whole person. God breaks me. And then he takes the piece of me that he wants. And he places me in the picture. Where he wants me. That's a pretty green, isn't it? And that will look good inside the picture. But by itself, it kind of is not really that spiffy. But when it is put inside of the whole picture that God is creating, all of a sudden, this beautiful picture begins to take place. I mean, look at that Come Holy Spirit banner over there. Right? Just one of those teardrops alone, that's a piece of cloth. Yeah. Not so good. Yesterday, though, I saw women standing and admiring that and so wondering, man, we need some of this stuff in our church because the whole thing was together into this beautiful picture. No one person, though, is given the whole picture. This is me, and you have a piece that is you, a shard of glass, a shard of tile, a shard of stone, whatever it is that is you that is going into God's glorious picture the way that God sees fit. And he sees the whole picture. He sees the whole picture. You are to contribute your piece of this the way that God sees fit. He'll tell you which piece he wants you to give. We're going to be this place that that frees people to say, You can serve Jesus how God has gifted and empowered you to serve Jesus. I'm not saying we're there yet, by the way. We're not. I know that's hard to swallow, but we're not. Every every pastor I know, and I think a lot of people I know, but every pastor I know, and I know myself, so I'm a pastor, okay, and I know myself, so this counts for me too, is a control freak at heart. And we have to learn to stop being control freaks. Right? And we try to tell people, no, you have to do it my way. But that's not what we're going to become as a church. We're going to become as a church what we're seeking to become over the next few years. And by the way, we should get to this place and then the vision will change again. And it will be a part of who we are. We don't abandon it. It's a part of who we are. And now we're moving forward. Have any of you that are over the age of uh, 10 years old abandoned who you were as a kid? No. 
It's, it's part of who you are. It's part of what's made you into the man or woman that you are. The same thing about who you, what you did when you were 20 and 30 and all of those things has built you into the person you are. These things are building us into who we are. We're becoming this church that says it's okay to be you. You're not an eye. That's cool. We need a foot too. You're not a foot. That's cool. We need a knee too. Now, I know the struggle that people have is they say, well, well but, but who's going to tell everybody what needs done? Ooh, 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 pick me, pick me. I know, I know, I know. If you were to go and read in Colossians chapter 1, verses 18, or chapter 2, verses 19, it very clearly spells out who? Jesus. He is the head. He is the one who tells us what to do. Not Jerry. Not not Fran. Not Ron. Not John. Not Keith. Not the ministry coordinators. Not the team leaders. There is one head. Jesus Christ. Now my job and, and Keith's job and Ron's job and John's job and ministry coordinator's jobs and all those people's jobs, I, Fran's job, I, I'm like, I missed an elder. Which one did I not say their name? And our deacons, all of those things. It, our job is not to tell you what to do to serve Jesus. Our job is to help equip and empower you to hear what Jesus is calling you to do. And by the way, if we don't get passionate about what God has called you to do, it's okay. Jesus still loves us. He's given you the passion. If I did a tenth of the things that people were passionate about and wanted me to get passionate about, I would do nothing with my life other than follow and pursue their passions and callings. I wouldn't even have time to sleep, eat, drink, or go to the bathroom. And some of you I know are struggling with this concept because it's, it's not what we do in church in America. The pastor tells us what we're supposed to do. I agree the shepherd tells you what you're supposed to do. And I am not him. Jesus is. I am his under-shepherd. The shepherd will tell you. Somebody start saying with me, or somebody get up, you know what? Somebody get up and come here and say it in a microphone. Psalm 23. I don't care what translation you say it out of. Come here, somebody, anybody who knows Psalm 23, the whole thing by heart, or most of it. Come on. All right, come on, brother. Say it. Say it. Okay, read it out of the Bible. I don't care. Say it strong. Psalm 23. Read it in the mic, good and strong. The Lord is my shepherd. Whoa, whoa, hold on. Who? The Lord. Say that one more. Say that verse, say that first verse again. The Lord is my shepherd. All right, keep going, brother. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leaves me beside still waters. Whoa, 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 what? He he what? He leads me oh, he lies okay, me okay. down in green pastures. Okay, he leads you. Okay, okay. Okay, go ahead. He leads me by, beside still waters. He restores my soul. 
You're getting crafty, brother. You're getting crafty. You're like, he's going to interrupt me. Keep going, bro. Keep going. I won't interrupt you again. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are within me, or with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all my days of my life. I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Guys, for God's sake, that is not a death psalm. We only hear that read at funerals and that has nothing to do with dying. That has to do with living. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not lay down and die. That is a life psalm. You are my shepherd. You can sit down, bro. Hand me that. I'll shut it off. Okay, cool. You are my shepherd. You will lead me. You will give me guidance and direction. And sometimes my under-shepherd, Jerry or John or one of the other elders, will come alongside of me and help me to hear what you're saying. Help me to understand what it means. You will be the one that restores my soul. You're the one that's going to provide. You're the one that's going to lead me to the quiet waters that I need, those places of rest. You're the one that's going to lead me to the pasture, that place where I need to eat and be sustained and, and built back up. You are in control. Listen, this has been a theme in my teaching all throughout the year. We talked about the levels of learning. Right? And when we talked about the highest level of learning, the highest level of learning, it, it, we looked at the teacher's role. And in the lower end of the level of learning, when we're down there in the rote learning, I have to guide you and tell you. But when you get up to the highest level of learning, I'm just there to poke and prod every once in a while. Because you're learning how to hear from God. And you're hearing directly from the one who has all the plans and has all the answers. You want to know where we're going as a church? Let me tell you real quick before we recess for lunch. Here's where we're going as a church. OCCA is seeking to become a permission-giving church. A church like this is one in which ministries are born out of the passions and the callings of the church membership. And I don't mean the active voting members, though if you're not an active voting member, there are certain ministries which you cannot do. Teaching ministries are reserved for those who are members of the church because we believe that those people need to be in a, in a relationship of accountability with the local church to do pulpit teaching unless it's a, a, another missionary or something in the alliance, another pastor who's under authority, or to do teaching in our training ground classes. Okay? That's not... We don't... We're, you just have to be in that mutual relationship. Okay? But membership doesn't mean active voting member. It means all the people who say OCCA is their home. And there are tons of stuff that could be done by non-voting members. You can't hold an office and you can't teach. That's pretty much all that's restricted. All right. Coming back to this. Born out of the passions and the callings of the church membership. The function of church leadership is to equip and empower members to serve Christ, each other, and the community as they fulfill their callings. Notice what is curiously absent from there. The function of leadership is not to make everybody else follow your passion and calling. That is curiously absent. On purpose. 
If you have a passion to do something, it's our job to equip you to do that, not do it for you, not recruit all the people. Now, I'm going to put Barbara on the spot here a little bit just to share her story. Barbara came to me a while back before the summer and had this idea for this blank page ministry where they were going to read in this thing, they were going to read Scripture, and then they were going to... um, go home and kind of journal and maybe write poetry about it, different things. And, and that was kind of this idea that's birthing in her mind and, and in her heart. And one of the first things I said to Barbara, and Barbara, you can att- just say, nope, he's wrong. He didn't say that if I didn't. I said, are you willing to lead this? Are you willing to recruit the people? What's the critical mass that you need for this? How many people will make this something that you're going to continue to pursue? And Barbara said, absolutely, I just need somebody to kind of help me along. I want to, I want to serve and all those kind of things. And I know I'm paraphrasing the conversation. And we said, go for it, sister. And she had people coming together and doing that. And Barbara set that all up, not Pastor Jerry. Is that pretty close to the gist of it? She's nodding her head north and south, which means yes. Okay, wait a minute, I got another one. It's a change that you've sensed over the last year and you've seen it. Moving out Sunday was a grand idea, a grand idea to get us a heart to do outreach. But accidentally over the course of a number of years, it became a goal to have a good moving out Sunday attendance and and it became like we do outreach once every quarter. And so we kind of did a little shift and we said that's not what the heart of it was. The heart of it was to get people wanting to reach out into the community regularly on their own and so we're going to take it and call it moving out not moving out sunday and we're going to release people to pursue those things which they're passionate about rather than saying here's the list and jeff came and said that he felt really called of god to reach out to the little league and so we got a group of people wasn't huge but it was impactful who went up and did work on the little league fields amen jeff is that right and then and then tina came and wanted to do something with seneca place and so we did that. And now our small groups that are, that are sermon-based curriculums are being challenged to do their own moving out events. And let me tell you something really cool that happened. And I, want, I just want to show you God's favor in this. Our group, the group I lead, was talking about possibly doing something bowling-wise. Because, you know, we, Brian coaches bowling for Cranberry High School. Is that right, Brian? Cranberry? Oh, sorry. Yeah. I'm like, where's he at? Cranberry, right? Yeah. And so we thought, you know what? Let's do something bowling. We have some people in our group that know this, and people like bowling even if they stink at it. You know, this could be fun. So Brian goes, we're going to take the popcorn popper we've got for Awana, and we're going to take that up there and make popcorn, like on some of their league nights. And the the owner of the alley or the manager said, no. Popcorn's way too messy to be up here. We've tried it before. I'll tell you what I will do. Any Sunday night you want... You can have 16 of my lanes for free. Figure out what you can do with that. Oh, come on. <laughs> That's huge. Do whatever you want in the 16 lanes. And then she said, by the way, here's a couple of groups that maybe you can reach out to with it. That's crazy. Because our group decided to maybe do something bowling oriented. That's weird. That's God, though. Angela was talking about maybe volunteering to go help, and and because Angela's passionate about theater and likes to sing over at the Barrow and stuff, and talked about maybe going over there and doing some cleanup in the in the warehouse. And I said, hey, we're great with that, but as long as 
we get some people who are also connected to the barrow that are a part of that. Well, I don't want it to just be our small group and they're cleaning it up. We need some of them to come along and help. And A, for direction, B, so we can connect. See, this is stuff coming out of people's passions, the things they're passionate about. Listen, if you don't want to go help us clean up the barrel, that's cool. We're not going to condemn you. If you don't want to bowl with us, that's fine too. It's going to come out of people's passions and callings. When this, be, when this is the type of church that we have totally become, more often than not, you're going to be told yes when you have a ministry idea. More often than not. There are going to be times when we tell you no. My annual report is like 11 pages long or something crazy like that. I only expect you to read the first page. For those who want to read further, it talks about what becoming this kind of church, there's some tables in there. Those are the second most important part about what it means and what it does not mean. Each one of the what it means statement goes with the what it doesn't mean statement next to it. Like it's going to come out of our passions and callings, but we're not, nobody's going to be able to implement their plan at the expense of everybody else. Right? You're going to be responsible for recruiting and equipping and training your team. Not me. You. But it doesn't mean that you can't do stuff without any kind of ministry coordinator or oversight or any involvement from the, from the leadership. Our job is to help you. You understand? This is not final yet. And we are not forming a committee to finalize it. The elders are the ones who are going to finalize the wording of this statement. But we are all in agreement. This is where we're going as a church. That means on our website, the thing where it talks about the vision being prior to prioritize the critical role of men is going to be moved to a section below that called our passions. And then there's going to be other passions added to it as people get passionate about stuff. It's part of who we are, right? This men thing. This is our vision for the next two, three, four years. I don't know. As long as it takes to become this. And once we're, he- once we're here, trust me, the elders are going to be like, where are we supposed to go now? Now, some of you are like, I don't know. You know, how does this all work? Listen, the overwhelming response from the congregation before today in the private one-on-one conversations in the hallway when I shared this, was hope and excitement. We are going back to what God started doing 20 years ago through Darvin Howard when we went to the teams-based ministry. And when Pastor Darvin brought that in, it was taking the ministry out of the hands of the pastor and putting it in the hands of the people. And now we're naturally doing what we're supposed to do, which is taking it to the next level and saying it's not just to the ministry coordinators. The people now get to decide. And we'll coach you through that. Listen, one of the most significant events that I believe we've had as a church, and there are several significant ones. Man camp is significant, but one of the most significant events I've seen as a church was the Beth Moore simulcast yesterday. The, the women's progressive picnic was also very significant, meaningful to people. I don't mean just numeric, meaningful, transformative. Four women in our church, four, that's all it took was four, led that. Sarah, Kath, Cindy, and Christy. And it started as a Facebook conversation. 
I think like five other churches at this point have told Sarah, I think it's five, I could be wrong on the number, have told us the next time we do it, we asked, do you want to partner with us and co-host it together? And like five other churches have said, yes, we want to be a part of co-hosting it next time and being a part of that team and growing. It doesn't take all 200 of us. It only takes the little handful that God is putting that in their heart. Amen? So where are we going as a church? For those of you who have asked it directly of me over the last year or have asked it indirectly in an implied question, here's where I believe God is taking us. OCCA is seeking to become a permission-giving church. A church like this is one in which ministries are born out of the passions and callings of the church membership. The function of the church leadership is to equip and empower members to serve Christ, each other, and our community as they fulfill their callings. That's where we're going. I don't expect you to believe it's biblical just because of one passage of Scripture. And so, Monday, you have Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. You might say, what's the impetus for even writing this vision down? I used to be anti-vision statements until God convicted me when I read Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 through 3, that says, write the vision down. Make it plain on tablets. And I won't tell you the rest of it. You go read it. Then the next few days, Tuesday, Romans 12, 3 through 8. Wednesday, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. Thursday, 1 Corinthians 12, 20 through 31. Friday, 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. Saturday, Matthew 28, 16 through 20. These passages of Scripture, they deal with the need to have a vision. They deal with the vision being based off every member serving as God directs, as the head directs, and it's okay if I don't get excited about what you're excited about. It's okay if the elders don't get excited about it. God has gifted you. I think that's going to be the hardest thing for some of us to understand. We don't all have to like everything. I've been saying that for a year. I don't like everything we do. It doesn't matter. It's not about me. 2 Timothy, the 2, 1 through 7 there is about entrusting to reliable men. It's supposed to be in everybody's hand. And then Saturday, the Great Commission was given to all believers to go and make disciples. Read those scriptures over. Let this res- let's see if this resonates within, within your heart. By the way, I already know it resonates. I haven't unveiled it because I was trying to find out if God's really doing this, it'll resonate with people. And over the course of the last year, the Lord has spoken that very clearly. And the vast majority of people, 85 to 95%, are like, yes, this is where we're supposed to be going as a church. I even went to Tim Young at District Conference and said to him, he goes, man, it's exactly what God was doing when Darwin came. And what Brad and I tried to continue on. That is so neat to see that God is still doing the same thing and still taking that further. By the way, that's a good indication of vision and direction of a church as if it's a huge departure from where we have been going, being led by God. Probably, I'm not saying it's wrong, but we might need to back up and go, um, really? Because there's nothing new under the sun. By the way, the last piece of this, and I'm going to pray, and then we're going to receive some members into the church this morning. And then we're going to do an offering. And I'm sorry it's taking a little long. I didn't mean to go this long. I got excited. Our church was planted somewhere between 1926 and 1935. Nobody knows the exact date. We have a date on our website, but nobody knows the real date. You know why? Because Oil City Community Alliance Church was birthed 
out of the passions and callings of some lay people in the community, and nobody's sure when they first started meeting to transform the oil region. This is actually part of who we've always been as a church. And we're going back to that. Because God wasn't stupid in 1926. He knew what he was doing. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for being so clear over this last year about where we're supposed to be going. But Lord, I I pray that if this is in fact correct, that you will work inside of people's hearts and minds and people will also want to pursue this and it will continue to resonate in people's hearts. And Lord, give us grace when we mess this up because I'm sure we're going to. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, Amen. Amen.